like that illustration this morning because uh, we have freedom to gather again, right? And uh, also that freedom, uh, you'll notice that there was a lot going on there that they were putting on top of uh, those hands that were raised that ultimately looked like they were raised in freedom. But there, it was some work to get them clean, wasn't it? They had to work a little bit. And sometimes our freedom does come uh, from doing some work. Well, we're in Second Peter, and actually that, uh, that video also reminded me of a verse we're going to look at today. In Second Peter, verse, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Sometimes we forget that we're cleansed, right? Do you ever forget that you're, that you're clean, that you're a redeemed child of God? Well, this morning, uh, our key verse, it's, no, a key verse needs to come up. That's God bless you. There's another key verse right there. It's almost the same slide. You can see I copied uh, the format. Therefore, brethren, be even more sure to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. That is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. A few things about this verse. At first reading, when you look at that, could you think, well, what do you mean make my call an election? Sure, I'm saved, and don't we teach once you're saved, you're always saved? Isn't that a doctrine of this church? Yes, it is. Praise God. I wouldn't want to say it necessarily once you're saved, you're always saved. I'd like to say I believe that the saints will persevere till the end, because that's how the Bible says it, exactly how the Bible says it. He who overcomes will persevere. And I think that the OSAS, as uh, many of our Arminian and Wesleyan friends like to call it, they short it, shorten it up, OSAS, once saved, always saved, does get misused. And, and I think there's a lot of people who maybe are deceived through some methods of modern evangelism into thinking that they are saved and believe they'll always be saved. They never regenerate. Their heart never changes. Their life doesn't look any different after they start following Christ than it did before. And I'm not judging whether they're saved or not, but I would read the scripture that says to make your call and election sure. I think Peter wanted people to consider their salvation in that way. And this is not the first time that this is recommended in the Bible, by the way. Uh, if you read Philippians 2.12, it says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Alright, 2 Corinthians 13.5 says to examine yourselves as to whether or not you are in the faith. So test yourselves. And that's what we're going to do today. Peter gave us this great letter, and we can test ourselves uh, to see, are we in the faith by the letter of the word? Are we really following the way the apostles, the way Christ himself wanted us to follow him? And I think it's good for us to test ourselves. In anything we do, we should test ourselves. I want to be sure that my call and my election is there and that I'm following God. I don't want to be deceived. Um, Rebecca said to me one day this week that probably the scariest verse in the Bible is the verse where Jesus says, Depart from me, I never knew you. But Lord, didn't we do great things in your name? That is a scary verse. But who is in? Well, it's he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. When you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you can see what the will of God is for you. You can see it all throughout Scripture. 
Uh, so we're going to do this today because I want you who are here, and I look around, I think probably everybody here is pretty sure of their salvation. I hope you are. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. And that is the advantage. I'll say this. We just started taping uh, this sermon two minutes ago. Rebecca turned on the camera. So this makes it so I can preach, okay, because I know that this sermon is going out far beyond this room. Now, if I only had this message to preach to each of you here, I'd have to be kind of gentle because, oh, is he talking to me? There's probably 15 of us. It's hard to preach to, a, to a, a 15, 10 to 15 people because, oh, but if you're preaching to 100 people, you know there's somebody in there who needs conviction. So now I'm preaching to I don't know how many people through that little camera will watch this. So uh, you can say, if you're sitting here, you say, oh, good, <laughs> he's not talking to me. Or you can say, maybe he is. But I'm not trying to tell you anything. I'm, I'm going to just take these scriptures and, and shed some light on them. That's all I'm trying to do, okay, with God's help. And since it is with God's help, before we read it, let's just ask for his help right now. Father God, we just pray that our eyes are open to what the Apostle wrote to us here today. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for how you washed us. How your blood redeemed us from the wrath, the wrath of God that was due to us. How we are no longer separated from God. That you call us your children, and we cry out to you, Abba, Father, Daddy. Guide us through this life. Help us in our faith. Make us be bold for you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The key verse, is everybody turned to Second Peter chapter 1. I hope that you are. And we're going to do something with this chapter that's a little different. Now you have the verse, that's the New King James Version up behind me, okay? See, everybody can see that. Everybody can see it, who's in the room, right? And I think even, I think that camera's probably, no, it's not picking it up. So if you're at home, you're watching this, or if you're at St. Mattress, or St. Couch, or St. Favorite Chair, wherever you are, turn in your Bibles to this passage. And uh, what I'm going to do, this is sort of like a responsorial psalm, only it's not a, that's okay, Rebecca, I'd just leave it alone. You're so diligent to do everything that I want, I know, but let's just leave that right there. <laughs> uh, so responsorial psalm, some, the, the leader, the psalm leader says one thing and you guys respond with another verse over and over and over. So we're going to do that with verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read it and you guys are going to respond. Therefore, brethren, be even more sure to make your call and election sure. It shouldn't be sure, it should be diligent. That's a typo. But you guys can say it any way you want. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Okay, this is important. 
the reason that we're going to have you say that after every one is because you'll see that there's an important word in there. What do you think the most important word is on, in that verse? Therefore. therefore. Whenever we see therefore in a passage, we have to see what it's there for. It's following and it, it gives some incredible information prior to it. And this is the first therefore in this passage. So we're going to go back and we're going to see what it's there for. So you ready? I'll read it and you guys uh, do your best. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That was pretty good. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by the glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. Now I'm going to do two verses, because they go together. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Okay. We just said it ten times. It's important. I'm just going to go back through each verse. I've got one verse, or a couple verses we're going to put together. But when you think about that, making your call and your election sure, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, or examining yourself as to whether you are in the faith, these verses will show us why. Verse 1. 
Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is our faith like the faith of Peter's? Now, remember, in verse 9, he's going to say, if you do these things, you're never going to stumble. Now, last week we studied Peter. Was Peter a man who stumbled in his faith? Yes. Yeah. If anybody knows about stumbling, it's Peter. Sometimes uh, we need to talk to people who've had a hard time to understand how to avoid it. Peter could probably give us a lot of advice on how to avoid the mistakes that he made. Here he is as an older man, ready to die, and he's saying, look, there is a way <clears throat> for you, you know, not to make the mistakes that I made. And here it is. It starts with a like and precious faith. The same faith that Peter had. The same faith that John had. The same faith that James had. The same faith that Paul had. The gospel. The like precious faith. It's God's righteousness on us for redemption. Uh, here's, here's the problem. We went over what the gospel was last week in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, those first few verses. There are different gospels. There are people who name Christ, they use the same vocabulary as us, but a different dictionary than us. You are, they'll say things like, you are in Christ if you're happy, and you know it, and you're blessed with riches, or you are in Christ if you receive these sacraments and do this work, you're in Christ. That is a different gospel. And, and Paul explains it really well. If we turn in our Bibles, turn with me, if you will, back to Galatians um, chapter 1. And pretty serious warning here for the Galatians who were turning and adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you think about Jesus on the cross, pouring out his blood, dying, and before, you know, with his last breath, before he surrenders his spirit, he cries out with a loud voice. It doesn't say he just said it. He cried out with a loud voice. Now that's hard to do if you're being crucified. That means you have to take all your strength, raise your whole body, fill your lungs, which are, which are being filled with fluids anyway. And with a loud voice he proclaimed, It is finished. So when we think about those words from the cross... I can see why Paul says what he says here in Galatians about anybody who adds anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 10, Paul writing to them, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, 
preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. The word there is anathema. It means damned to hell. If you preach anything other than the free gift of salvation through the blood of Christ. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. There's only one faith. There's only one gospel. And Peter is writing to us who have a like, precious faith. Verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord. He wants to make sure you get this grace and peace. Are you feeling God's grace wash over your life all the time? Do you have peace? Do you have peace with the people around you? Do you have peace with other Christians? Do you have peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Peter wants us to have that peace. Peter had troubles with Paul through their ministries. Different times Peter did things and he was confronted by Paul. Paul had trouble with Mark. We see both of these men later in their lives where they agree with each other. They brought about that peace. It doesn't just happen like this. You have to work at it to have peace with other Christians sometimes. But it's the peace of God. And, and think of it from God's perspective. Some of you in here are parents. Not everybody is, I know, but some of you are parents. And you have children. Some of you have more than one. You might have a few children. And as parents, how do you feel? I'm not talking about when they're little, because when they're little you expect them to beat up on each other. That's okay. But how do you feel when your older children don't get along? Or when there's something between them? That's hard. Any parent will tell you that's hard. I was witnessing to one lady one day here in this church, an older lady. She's in her 80s. hope that's okay if I call somebody in their 80s older. And uh, when I said that, because she was talking about how churches not, aren't getting along, and I said, well, we're trying to work that out. And then I said, yeah, I know that must grieve God because I can't imagine what it's like to be a parent and have grown children not getting along. And she had two daughters that haven't spoken to each other in years, and she just fell apart. And she said, I get it. I get it. It's hard on a parent when their children don't get along. As Christians, we need to work out any troubles that we have with other Christians. Work it out. Doesn't mean that we always have to agree on particular doctrines, on, on rib issues that go in different directions. But I'm talking about having a good attitude toward each other. So we have the light, precious faith. We have grace and peace. And look, he says it's multiplied to you. Multiplication is better than addition. Your grace, your peace is multiplied. It grows. Verse 3, and this is a big one. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Okay, a lot here. If somebody were to ever ask you what the gospel has to offer, you could say, has to offer all things that pertain to life. 
What does all mean? It means all. Everything that pertains to the life of a human being, God pertains to it. Everything gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. We didn't just get born godly, and we didn't even get reborn in our faith in Christ to be godly. It's progressive. God keeps laying more godliness on us if we're ready and willing to receive it. And how does He do it? It says it right here, through the knowledge of Him who called us. We have to be striving to know more and more about God every day until we take our last breath on this earth. We have to want Him. We have to say, God, I want You more than I want my next breath. I've told that illustration before of... Um, a baptism where somebody, uh, it wasn't even a Christian baptism, it's, it's really old. It was, I think, Galileo, or not Galileo, uh, one of the old philosophers, and they used to baptize people into different knowledges. And he was baptizing somebody, and he'd pull him up, and he said, What do you want? And he said, I want to know more. And so he put him back under the water and held him a little longer. And he'd, what do you want? I want more knowledge. And then finally he put him down until bubbles were coming up, and the guy was shaking, and he pulled him up. He said, What do you want? He said, Air! I want air! Okay? And that's how we have to want God. Like a drowning man wants air. That's what we need. Through knowledge, He's called us by glory and virtue. His glory. Aren't you glad that God called you? This is why we make our call and our election sure. Then we get a nice verse here. By which we have been, gi have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This is a long verse. We break it down into a few different parts. First part, you get great and precious promises from God. So what are they? They're all contained in this little book. <laughs> Actually, they're contained in this big book. These are just excerpts. This is all Scripture. This is all Scripture. What they did is they, they pulled out great and precious promises. So I can open to any page of this, and, it's, and it's, it tells me um, just all these promises that come from God. Um, here's one, if I'm guilty about something. Psalm 32, 5. I made my sins known to you and did not cover up my guilt. I decided to confess them to you, O Lord. And you forgave all my sins. Isn't that a nice promise? It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, there are people in this world, if you confessed every one of your sins to them, they'd probably hit you on the head and say, you idiot, what'd you do that for? And God says, I forgive you. That's a nice promise. That's a beautiful promise. Entrust your efforts to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. That's a great and precious promise. We have promises. That verse tells us that we have promises. And the greatest promise that we have is eternal life. Then it mentions something that we have 
we're going to be partakers of the divine nature. Well, what does that mean? How do we participate in a divine nature when we're in these carnal bodies? When, when we hurt, we get mad, or when something happens that we think affects us but doesn't really, or whatever, we still get angry and we sin. How can we be participants of the divine nature? Well, we have to work this out. We have to make sure our call and our election is sure. But some things we can do, we have to understand something. Before we had Christ, okay, we could haphazardly avoid sin or resist sin. But we had no power in it. We had no real power. Once we have Christ, if we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, now we are of a new nature. The Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So you now have the power to overcome sin, to overcome habits. You have no excuse. If Christ is in you, you have the power. And even when you fail, he'll forgive you. So you should start over trying not to fail every day. We have that. That's part of the divine nature. First um, John chapter 2, 12. We're going to talk about something else here now. It talks about the lust that is in the world. But even this talks about having the power to overcome. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that the world that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That is part of the divine nature. You have the power to abide forever, to overcome sin. Romans 8 talks about this as well, how if you are in the spirit, you are no longer in the flesh. That you can overcome these fleshly desires. And then it talks about having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And we need to define lust here a little bit. A lot of times when we hear that word, we think in sexual terms of, of somebody lusting. But the word lust here is for everything. And it is the exact opposite of the word love. The word lust simply denotes taking for myself. I lust for something because I want it for me. I'm selfish. And the word love is antithetical to that. The word love means to give. Someone who has problems with lust in any area and makes a, a superficial change in their life to, to get rid of that lust, they, they fill the lust for one thing with another, that lust is going to come back. You need to be born again. You need to be a new creation in Christ to overcome whatever it is that you lust for. That's how you escape the corruption that is in the world. And do we see this corruption in our world? Do advertisers know that there is lust in this world? Yes. Yeah. Look at how they advertise things. It's all about you. And you deserve this. You've worked hard. You deserve a break. Okay. Does that feed our lust or what? Yeah. 
You've worked hard. How about this one? How would this ad go over? You have worked hard all your life. You, you have something to show for that, and that's good. And people look up to you. Now, here's what you've got to do. If you want true happiness, I want you to take that wealth of yours. Okay? I want you to sell everything you have and give it to somebody who doesn't deserve it, somebody who's really poor. And then I want you to take up an instrument of torture and death and shame, we'll call it a cross, put it on your shoulder every day and walk behind me. Yeah. How is that ad going to go? Not a lot of takers. But that is exactly, exactly what Christ told the rich young ruler. Exactly what he told him because he was holding on to his riches. He didn't have them, they had him. And there's a difference. So we want to escape that lust. Anything that is selfish, and is that hard to do or what? Are we selfish beings? We are. We're very selfish. Naturally, it's how we stay alive. But it can feed into how we affect the world. And we can become more selfish than we should. And we need to turn that and be loving and willing to give. Verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So you've got this like precious faith that leads you to do good things. You've got these precious promises. You have everything that pertains to life and godliness. You have, you're growing in your knowledge of God. Uh, you're partaking of the divine nature, which means you're overcoming sin. You're learning actually to look back, and I hope you do. I do. I look back. I don't have to look back before I was saved. I can look back two years, five years, ten years, and I can see, wow, I had that sin then. Oh, I wish I hadn't done it. I hate that I did it. I don't want to do that again. And you learn to hate your sin the way God hates your sin. You'll grow. So... He's going to help us identify our sin and where we can grow here in a minute. But we're going to give all diligence to add to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Now we know what knowledge is. Let's talk about virtue. How do we add virtue to our faith? Well, a lot of folks can't even explain what virtue is anymore. So a quick dictionary definition. Number one, strength or manliness actually. Strength, it's like a strong man who can break chains. That's, that's a definition of virtue. Here's another definition. A conformity to a right standard. Your right standard. Conformity to it. Number three, morality. That's a tricky one. Make sure that you know what morality is before you conform to it. Billy Graham said, the new, the new morality is nothing more than the old immorality. Again, get your morality from Scripture. Next definition is moral excellence. Not just morality, I'm a pretty good guy, but moral excellence. Striving to look like the most, or not striving to look like, striving to be the most moral person there is. Where are my morals? Valor. And the last one, 
I think applies the most to us. Virtue is a capacity to act rightly. Do I even have that capacity? And, and of myself, I don't. It is only in Christ in me that I have that capacity to act in a right way. It's the only way that you can have the capacity to act in a right way. And if you think that you have anything in yourself that can make you act the right way, take heed lest ye fall. We sang a song that said, Jesus knows our every weakness, take it to the Lord in prayer. He does know our every weakness, but guess who else not only knows our weakness, but prays on our weaknesses? Satan. Satan. I'm going to do verse 6 and 7 here together, because it mentions a number of things. We're going to add to our faith, virtue, and knowledge. And then to knowledge, we're going to add self-control. Self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Do some of those words remind you of another section of Scripture anywhere? Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians again. This time, chapter 5. Uh, in verse 22. Paul writing to the Galatians, telling them to get out of the flesh and get into the Spirit. And in verse 22 he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. So we see some of these same fruits of the Spirit being mentioned by Peter here. And here's what we need to know. Peter's telling us to add these things. Paul's telling us that they are fruits of the Spirit. And what do we know about the fruits of the Spirit? Are the fruits of the Spirit gifts from the Spirit? No. They're not. Now, we all get gifts from the Spirit when we get saved, and those gifts may be different. They are different for all of us. We all have different giftedness. But the fruits of the Spirit are something that we need to plant, grow, fertilize, cultivate, harvest. They're fruits of the Spirit. Jesus said good fruit cannot come from a bad tree, and bad, tree, bad fruit cannot come from a good tree. We want to be good trees, good vines. We need to cultivate these things. It's exactly what Peter is saying here, too. You need to add these things. You can't sit back and say, well, I accepted Jesus when I was five, and I'm waiting for some goodness and gentleness and uh, self-control. I guess that's not one of my spiritual gifts. No, it's not. It's not any of our spiritual gifts. You have to work at it. It's very important for us to work at it. And when we're not displaying them, and we don't always display them, right? Some of us display some of the fruits of the Spirit better than other fruits of the Spirit. One thing that we could use that could help us would be a brother or sister in Christ saying, come along, come along here. I, I think you can grow better tomatoes than that. I think you can have more self-control than that. I think you can have more perseverance than that. I, I want to help you. What we don't need is to be condemned because of our lack of fruit. 
We need to be cultivated. We need to always be helping each other out because we don't know. Somebody may claim to have been a Christian for a long, long time, but they might still need milk. We see it in the scriptures where Paul was surprised. By now you should be eating meat, but you still need milk. You still need help. You need to be brought along like you're a little baby. It's not cute, so let's go here. Let's get you growing up. That's what we need, and we don't need condemnation from our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we add to our knowledge self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. See, we've escaped the corruption that is through the lust. And now we're adding love. Verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to focus on that word barren. You may have a version of the Bible that uses a different word, but it means the same thing. Whenever you hear barren in the scriptures, what do you think of? That's a question. People who, people who can't have kids. What else do you think of? Not fruitful. Yeah. It's, it's not a nice word. It's only used in all of the Bible. Do you think it's used a lot? Only It's, it's used 27 times in the whole Bible. The word barren is used. God doesn't like to use the word barren, it would seem. It's not nice. It does refer at times to a woman with no children, sometimes no children yet. We hear about the barren fig tree. In 2 Kings 2, we hear about the land becoming barren because of the sins of the people. In Job 3.7, he talks about a barren night with no joyful noise in it at all. Empty. Means without. Nothing growing. Nothing there. No sign. Nothing. And this is talking about knowledge. It's a good question. Where are we at as a church? And when I say as a church, I don't just mean Green Mountain Bible Church. I mean people going through this land, going through this world, saying, I love Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus. But are you barren in your knowledge of Christ? Barren in your knowledge of the Scriptures? You'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be barren. I think sometimes because we are, I say we, I see some people are, so barren in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, when you're barren in knowledge, you become fearful. How can I tell anybody about Jesus? I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I think there's four Gospels. I don't know. There's some letters. It's, the book's divided somewhere. I can't remember. So many people who claim Christ don't know anything about the Scriptures. Can't tell you what town Jesus was born in or what town he lived in. 
they're barren, they're empty. And as a church, we need to be teaching, we need to be reaching, we need to make it so that it's important to us to know more about the Scriptures and show people why it's important to them to know more about the Scriptures because not that it makes us holy, we're saved, this isn't a salvation issue, but if this book does give us things that pertain to life and people are having trouble in life, being barren is not a good thing to be. We want to be full of knowledge of Christ, full to the brim. So when we share with our neighbors, we're speaking the words of life to them and not just talking about the weather or the current news. We want to be full all the way up. And then when the Lord comes and He says, I'm calling on you, you say, Here I am, Lord. Send someone else, Lord. <laughs> right? No. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go if you send me. I will hold your people in my heart. Can't do that if we're barren in the knowledge of Christ. At best, we can say, there's got to be somebody better than me for you to send. And we're not, this is not a new problem, by the way. You go back to the book of Exodus, and God said, Moses, I'm sending you. He said, no, <laughs> I don't talk good. They're not going to believe me. All kinds of excuses, right? This is not a new problem. Well, God made sure that Moses wasn't barren anymore. And God will make sure that we're not barren anymore. If we seek Him diligently, we will find Him. We will find Him. Is that just reminding me of a verse? I'll go back to it. I think I can find it real quick here for you. I want to quote it correctly, so I'll read it right to you. The book of Hebrews in chapter 11. And verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Let's be diligently seeking our Lord. And then verse 9, Want to know what happens if you don't? It's right here. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. You see, like I said, this is not a salvation issue. You're cleansed from your old sins. You've got your ticket to heaven. Praise God. But do you really know it? Well, if it says here that if you lack these things, no. You don't know it. God knows it. And He's faithful. He'll do His part. He's done His part. But can you imagine what it would be like to forget or to wonder, goodness, am I really saved? And I know people who've, who've said the prayer, that the ABC plan, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe in my heart and I confess that you're Lord. And then they'll tell me, I say that every time I hear somebody saying it. Why? Why do you feel you have to say that prayer over and over and over and over? Where's your confidence in the Lord? Do you not believe that He did it the first time? He did. If you really meant it, add 
to your faith. And the reason I think somebody has to say that over and over and over and over is because they've never done this. They've never added anything to their faith. They've never added virtue. They've never added knowledge or self-control or perseverance or godliness or brotherly kindness or love. These are things, these are not gifts. Remember, this is the apostle is telling us to do the work of adding these things to our faith. The faith is a gift. Repentance is a gift. When we repent of our sins, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that's all him. He gives that to us. And some, there were times when he asked the apostles to do more, and they'd say, increase our faith, when he told them how to forgive. Increase our faith. He said, if you had faith as a mustard seed, you could do great things. But he said, what you're lacking is obedience. We're not lacking faith. The faith is a gift, and we've already received it. We lack obedience. Do we have these things? Examine yourselves. Make the list. Pull, take your scriptures, take a sheet of paper, and make a list of them little, on a little card. And say, am I, am I adding this today? I've got faith. Yeah, I believe in God. I'm going to add some virtue. I'm going to add some knowledge. I'm going to add some self-control. I'm going to leave those chocolate donuts alone. Whatever it is you need self-control in, practice it in the little things, and it will be there in the big things. Examine yourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Look at that list and ask yourself, where, where do I fall short? Where am I falling short? And be sure to do this examining before you become what it calls short-sighted and even blind. Even forgetting that I was once cleansed. This is how I can be even more diligent to make my call, my election sure. For if I do these things, I will never stumble. My friends, I don't want to stumble anymore. And I don't want you to stumble anymore. I want to walk right and straight with God for His glory. Not to tout my own holiness, but so that I can glorify God to my fullest with every gift He gave me, but also with every attribute here that he has told me to add from my own account to my faith. So friends, search yourself. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make your call and election sure. Add to your account. Make some deposits for the glory of God. Amen.